Everything has purpose. When summer comes to an end in the Antarctic, the penguins begin their long trek across the tundra. They march. They protect. Young rams gather momentum and burst forward to tangle their horns with another. Here in Costa Rica, I've been totally floored by the industrious nature of ants. Their assembly lines, the long highways between material and construction is so ingrained, so inherent, that the grass is literally carved into pathways. Humans also find their purpose. Some help the neighbor kid, tending to a scraped knee, and they find their calling in medicine. Others have boxes upon boxes of Legos or Lincoln Logs that draw them into feats of engineering. Some play with plastic soldiers and gaze admiringly at the flag, dreaming of a way they can fight for their country. Others were saved from a building engulfed in flames and vowed to one day pay it forward. Put simply, there is a drive within all of us, a calling. But this isn't a matter of personal achievement, not solely, but a piece of the larger systemic puzzle. Each of us are a branch or a root, working together to maintain the cycle of bloom and shed. Of course, there are those who are driven to be DJs or TikTok celebrities, beauty product influencers, or podcast hosts. And no matter your feeling on these chosen goals, they do provide something for society, for humanity. Well, in my case, I hope that's true. But while they aren't arresting criminals or reinforcing the structural integrity of a bridge, they are, in their own way, adding to the collective consciousness of human beings. Singular purpose on a long enough timeline becomes collective. We are, all of us, working toward both survival and longevity. Our individual purpose, our chosen career field or life's work, feeds together to create humanity's destiny, rather than us allow ourselves to be passive participants in it. And that's an optimistic outlook, right? It almost gives us a reason to get up and keep going, to climb that next mountain. That said, what will we do if that time comes when we discover that none of our plans, our assumed purposes, are of any consequence? and that something greater, older, than all of us is in the driver's seat. And worse, what recourse will we have left when we see that this higher power means us harm? What will bring our end? The cosmic threat itself? Or the hopelessness when humanity truly understands that they could do nothing to change or stop it? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in. And the haunt is on. Chapter 12 The totem, venerated and adored, sat atop the large circular table in the center of the room. Nothing crowded the carving, not maps or clipboards or soda cans. From the captain's chair, Donnie Frederick studied the piece with reverence, mouthed a silent prayer, 
He is dead. He is eternal. He is dreaming. Just under a foot tall, the stone sculpture was washed in a sickly green shade like oxidized copper. The passage of time, of being submerged in seawater or buried in the sand, of many changing hands, had eroded the sharp points of the wings, snapped off small pieces of the many searching tentacles, softened the once precise definition of the sculptor, but just to be in its presence was humbling. That was, assuming some mortal man had been powerful enough to create such a perfect idol, though that didn't seem possible. Maybe the master had crafted it himself, willed it into being. All around the stone visage of the world's savior, the bridge of the baroness was enveloped in a flurry of activity, his faithful followers darting this way and that. Some were punching myriad flashing buttons on consoles, while others scanned multicolored monitors. They were doing this of their own free will, smiling as they worked. The same was true all over the ship. His disciples in the engine room, the infirmary and kitchens, those tending to the herd, standing guard, all working, preparing for his arrival. Through the nearly floor-to-ceiling windows of the Baroness's control room, the great expanse of the Atlantic reflected the enormity of the cloudless sky. Two whole worlds of unfathomable depth coming together, though what lay below the waves was bigger than both. Bigger than anything. Humanity would soon understand this as Donnie did. It was only a matter of ushering in the awakening. Donnie rotated in his chair. Updates, please! Status report! On his left, Anwar faced him, with a finger still touching the screen of his monitor. The weather pattern isn't shifting. We should be approaching the system this evening, possibly by morning. Donnie grunted. How do we proceed? Anwar asked. The man was Egyptian, soft-spoken, and only did so when absolutely necessary. He had been in the fold almost as long as Donnie, and was committed. There was no doubt. Donnie liked him knew that if there was a discernible chain after him, Anwar would be his second in command. We will do as he has planned. We will be protected. Anwar nodded, went back to work. It's been 16 hours since our last communication with corporate. Longer for any governing body, almost 20. This was from the right side of the room. It was Elsie from Oklahoma. Two years with celebration vacations, nearly as long in service to the master. It had always struck Donnie as strange how a young woman from a landlocked state could hear a call from deep within the ocean's depths. But again, no one chooses who he calls to, and how loud. And she was as dedicated as Donnie himself was. Elsie said, They will be on alert now. They have to be. Once they had begun the takeover of the ship, The first task was the destruction of any communication to the outside world. Radio equipment, signal jamming. The Baroness was on its own, in the middle of the Atlantic, dead center, equidistant from Ireland and Newfoundland, 1,000 miles of water to the east and west. More than enough to be lost within. There was no feasible way any authority or rescue operation would reach them in time. Let them search, Donnie said. By the time they find us, If they find us, it'll be too late. He will have risen. There was a palpable glee in his voice, and this ushered into the room 
a cheer. God, how long had he been waiting for this? How long had they all been waiting? Each of them had been called. The voice coming through in their dreams, their waking nightmares, the whispers of a being older than themselves, than the earth, older than time. Donnie had been called some five years before, but now it was as if he couldn't remember a time before, before he had purpose. He wasn't in charge then, but simply a personal trainer on another ship in the Celebration Vacations fleet, the Reina. This was on a seven-day Caribbean circle, with ports of call he'd visited more times than he could count. While on an overnight in Ocho Rios, he'd gone to his normal spot, Mrs. B's, and was just finishing his meal when he heard it. Every spiritual awakening, at least in the movies, or the minimally viewed blogs and memoirs of the internet, there's something profound in the event. A drug overdose and a trip to the afterlife replete with loved ones and the soft, warm glow of a deity's love. A drowning or a car accident. If the near-death experience isn't dramatic itself, then the call is. A brilliant rainbow or a beam of theistic sunlight, the unmistakable feel of being embraced by something more powerful, stronger, something that could alleviate the back-breaking burden of life. That was all bullshit. A true god doesn't need the fanfare. Donnie had stood from his empty plate, walked into the restaurant's kitchen, or rather, he was pulled, and he found himself in the dark alley behind. In the moonlight, rats scurried in and around dumpsters and tiny mountains of bagged waste. And there it was, between two rusted bins, the statue. It had not been delivered by some emissary, a fiery, sword-wielding angel. Nor was it resting on a red carpet or a feathered pillow. It was not encased in a golden sarcophagus. No. It had been left for Donald Fredericks, the once lost little boy from Pensacola, Florida, to find amidst garbage and rodents. When he placed his hands on the stones, the visions came fast and clear. Images of the past, the present and what was to come. Donnie saw the ocean breaching as he rose from his underwater grave. He witnessed cities burning, bodies disintegrating, being swallowed whole. He felt humbled by total devastation, by the wiping away of school shootings and terrorist cells, of religion and politics, of humanity's petty constructs. Donnie saw a clean slate. He saw rebirth. The totem became a beacon, a singular lantern drawing others to him. They met in secret, planned, looked toward the future. He wasn't special. None of them were. Donnie had just gotten them organized. The first voyage was supposed to be the beginning, but they weren't ready. He knew that now. They'd learned from mistakes made. There were simply too many people aboard to change, to influence. The pandemic, thankfully, had consumed the world long enough that that mishap could be covered up. No, that was a trial run, a test. He needed to weed out the weak. The weak of stomach, of heart, the weak of will. And looking back on it, Donnie Fredericks was a fool to assume anything different. Everything that had come before, 
the preparation and worship, it was all leading to this voyage, to these last few days. And everything was going according to plan. His plan. Thanks for listening to this shorter episode of The Ghost Modernist. I struggled with this one. Not so much with the content, but the length. I've been writing fiction for many years, uh, to varying degrees of success, and I'm still trying to reconcile the length of episodes in the podcast world with the quality of the content. Most podcasts out there have a set structure and length, and usually episodes of The Ghost Modernist run somewhere around 30 minutes. This translates to roughly 12 to 16 novel-length pages, based on dialogue or anything like that. Often, I find myself trying to reach that page count in order to make the episodes more standardized. And sometimes, I think, that works as a detriment to the story. As you know by now, I'm writing this sentence by sentence. I have no idea where it's going. And today, as I got to the fourth or fifth page, I realized that the chapter was complete, despite its shorter length. I kept trying to add more, but it felt forced. Basically, I realized I need to let the story dictate the length of the podcast episode, and I hope you guys understand. Another new and possibly longer chapter will be out next week. Please take a minute to rate and review. It really helps out the show. And again, if you want something a little bit more lighthearted and based in my current reality, check out the podcast that I have the pleasure of writing with my wife, Krista. It's called Sweet Gringo Blood. The theme music for today's episode of The Ghost Modernist was, as always, provided by Atrium Carcheri. And remember, there are two types of people in this world. The haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?